You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Dementia, it's an ever-increasing problem in our aging society. How can we recognize and approach this very important and devastating problem for our patients? Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. John Trojanowski, Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, Director of the National Institute on Aging-sponsored Center for Alzheimer's Research, also the Director of the Udall Center of Excellence for Parkinson's Disease Research, and the Director of the Institute on Aging at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Trojanowski. I'm delighted to be here. With dementia, I know as a general internist, there are various types. Do they all predominantly affect memory, or are there other things we should be looking for? Well, there's a couple of very different types of presentations of dementia that it's important to appreciate, and not all dementia is Alzheimer's disease. People often think, well, I don't have Alzheimer's disease, then whatever problems I'm having with cognition you know, are not dementia. So dementia and Alzheimer's are not synonymous, and indeed, Alzheimer's disease presents primarily with memory impairments, so, and in particular short-term memory, people may have preserved a memory of the past, but they wouldn't remember the kind of conversation we're having right now if you were to query them a half an hour from now. They just wouldn't have the functionality in the hippocampus to store short-term memories and then be able to talk about them a few minutes later. So that is the classical presentation for Alzheimer's disease, although I would hasten to add that Alzheimer's itself can be heterogeneous and you can have presentations of Alzheimer's disease that look like frontotemporal dementia or the kind of dementia that comes up in Parkinson's disease. And this is very different from classical Alzheimer's disease. Although cognitive function is impaired, these individuals in casual conversation may not appear to have any memory problems at all, maybe on testing they would, but the kind of cognitive impairments they have have to do with judgment in social situations or business situations. It has to do with the comportment and behavior, also use of language and ability to communicate. So an example might be that people would not dress appropriately for social event. If it's a dinner, uh, they may wear a bathing suit or a <laughs> jogging costume right. instead of a shirt and tie. Uh, if it was a formal dinner, they may become obsessed with certain things. They, At the dinner that we're talking about, they may go to every person in the room and pull their tie because they're fascinated by ties. Again, inappropriate social behavior. They may have deviancies that, in fact, lead to problems with the law. They may be sexually inappropriate in company or may have obsessions about chocolate containers of mm -hmm. milk and would want to go through every trash can in the house to find a chocolate container for some reason known only, only, <laughs> only to, to the patient. So those are a couple of examples. And this you know, is progressive, so the types of bizarre behaviors can become progressively worse over time. There are two public figures that I can point to who have had and currently have these kinds of problems. One is uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, the very esteemed president of the United States who had Alzheimer's disease. And more recently, Senator Peter Domenici has announced that he has frontotemporal dementia. This is the same kind of dementia that can occur in Parkinson's disease as well. I see. And so with those latter types, the non-Alzheimer's, memory is relatively preserved, yes. but the higher executive or judgment functions tend to deteriorate. That's correct. 
Is there any easy way to differentiate an early Alzheimer's memory issue with what might be considered normal aging or trouble with focus or a, a pseudodementia depression? It can be very difficult. So there are many different ways to become demented, unfortunately, and only a small percentage are reversible, but those are very important to check on at the earliest possible time when a patient presents. And those are ones that everyone knows, vitamin B12 deficiency, depression is another one that can make one appear to be depressed, uh, hypothyroidism, in older patients, uh, polypharmacy, taking a number of drugs, some of which can interact and dull the senses, that too can give rise to concerns about cognitive abilities. And so a medical history, of course, is important, a review of the drugs that a patient is taking, and often a caregiver or wouldn't be a caregiver, perhaps at the earliest stages, but it would be a life partner, someone who could give some sort of feedback to the clinician about whether the change in behavior parent change of behavior indeed is something out of the ordinary for the person. So people, of course, with different interests and education abilities will have different cognitive capacities. And what is very important to do is to judge the individual with the memory complaint against their past cognitive abilities and not with, you know, an average or something like that. So the clinical history is very important to take, the review of drugs that are being taken. And then there are tests that can be given, neuropsychological tests, the mini metal state exam, very commonly used exam, very brief exam for memory function, and then, of course, more detailed cognitive testing, imaging, and laboratory studies. And with regard to imaging, should we go for an MRI each time, or is a CT sometimes adequate? I think MRI is replacing CT in most institutions, and I may be biased coming from an academic institution where that's pretty much what is done routinely, but a, a CT scan would be informative too, and what one would see, and, and this is probably something that would not become very apparent until, if it's Alzheimer's disease, it's progressed a considerable distance, you would see atrophy of the hippocampus, for example, in Alzheimer's disease. And that can be very subtle and difficult to distinguish at the very earliest stages of the disease from normal aging. If you do serial MRIs at six-month or 12-month intervals, it's possible to get a greater sense of whether this is a progressive decline in hippocampal volume. And that often is done for patients. It's very difficult at the earliest stages of the disease to diagnose it by clinical imaging, the tests that we have today with a great deal of certainty. It may take a year or two at the early stages of the disease to establish that it's Alzheimer's disease. Obviously, if someone comes to medical attention with mini mental state of 15, that's a very low, the normal is 30. So if you have you know, half the normal score, it would not take a great deal of effort to make the diagnosis. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm discussing the differentiation of dementia with Dr. John Trojanowski from the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Trojanowski, are there particular risk factors, genetics or otherwise, that should point us toward watching for one type of dementia versus another? Nearly all of these neurodegenerative diseases, so one can have dementia on the basis of multiple infarcts, but the diseases I think that have captured the most attention because they are more common are neurodegenerative diseases. So the brain, as the name implies, begins to degenerate. You lose nerve cells progressively that are the 
you know, action figures in the brains, the, the ones that make it possible for us to have the wonderful cognitive abilities we have as human beings. And so these are unfortunately linked to autosomal dominant mutations in a small percentage of cases, fortunately. So in Alzheimer's disease, we estimate it's perhaps 3 or 5% of individuals with Alzheimer's disease will have their disease due to a mutation. So an autosomal dominant mutation, as everyone knows, means the gene is, you only need one copy of the gene from one or the other parent, and if it's passed on to a child, that individual will develop dementia by the age of disease onset, which often is younger with familial Alzheimer's disease, so average age of onset of sporadic Alzheimer's not connected to a mutation is about 70. People with early onset Alzheimer's disease before age 60, for example, are much more likely to have a mutation. And if you have this mutation and live to age 50 or so, you will for sure develop dementia. There are very few escapees, people with mutations who somehow escape the disease despite living to the sixth or seventh decade. So we should be looking at early onset of an Alzheimer's picture. That is much more likely to be a genetic type of Alzheimer's. Right. So I'm often asked by people, well, you know, my mother got Alzheimer's at 70. Does that mean that I will get it? I think it's important to have a, you know, more detailed family history taken if there is a concern and if there are not other individuals in the family, aunts and uncles and so forth, and it is a late onset dementia, it's unlikely to be caused by one of these very malignant mutations. It also occurs in Parkinson's disease. There are mutations that cause Parkinson's disease. There are mutations that cause frontotemporal dementia, and this is a cluster of heterogeneous disorders that are grouped together as frontotemporal dementia all having similar clinical presentations along the lines that I mentioned, loss of comportment, language, judgment, and so forth. And a higher percentage of those individuals have disease caused by a mutation. Maybe it's depending on the country. There is a little bit of heterogeneity with respect to the frequency of mutations since they're passed over generations through families. Some ethnic groups or regions of the world have more and others have less, but it's in the United States, maybe 15% or so of frontotemporal dementia patients will have disease caused by mutations. And then I imagine differentiating the type of dementia has implications for the management and prognosis. It absolutely does. I mean, so you can establish a diagnosis for sure, of course, by identifying a mutation, and you can do that in someone who's symptomatic or pre-symptomatic. But fortunately, as I mentioned, that's the minority of people affected for sporadic disease. It takes often several exams over a year or two as the disease progresses before an individual a clinician becomes uh, certain based on lab tests, clinical exams, the things that we've discussed, that it is indeed a neurodegenerative dementia and then enabling the clinician to decide if the patient has frontotemporal dementia or Alzheimer's or one of the other types of dementia. The importance of this would be greater if we had therapies but that were disease-modifying, that is, that either attenuated the disease or abrogated the disease process. We're not there yet, but there are many clinical trials in progress right now as we speak of potential disease-modifying therapies. So we're all optimistic and hopeful that these will turn out to have efficacy, and that would, of course, increase even more the importance of having a very specific diagnosis so the right therapy could be administered, one for frontotemporal dementia may not work for Alzheimer's disease and so forth. 
but even in the absence of something spectacular as a therapy that would shut down the disease for certainly decision-making about one's life plans. It's very important for those individuals in their reproductive years. It's important to know the diagnosis and whether it is or is not linked to a mutation. So genetic counseling is a service that is made available to people uh, in these types of situations. And all of this doesn't change the course of the disease, of course, but it helps people understand the disease, manage it, and live with it. Well, dementia will certainly be on the rise with our aging population, and Dr. Trojanowski has helped us to see the importance of differentiating the type of dementia that we may be dealing with, something that is important right now and will become increasingly important as more specific therapies are developed. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening.